Hey everyone, this is Spencer Powell and you're listening to the Construction Tech Update, where I bring you the latest technology and innovation going on in the residential construction industry, all in under 20 minutes. Let's get started. Today, I have Sam Rubin, who is an accomplished innovator, entrepreneur, executive, chief sustainability and partnerships officer, and the co-founder at Mighty Buildings. Mighty Buildings is using 3D printing technology, new composite materials, and robotics to manufacture houses. Sam's passion and deep understanding of sustainability and compliance drew him to the vision of addressing the housing affordability crisis by 3D printing sustainable homes. Today, we talk about Mighty Buildings, what they're up to, and how they are using sustainability in terms of people, planet, and profit to guide their certification and sustainability roadmaps. I really enjoyed this conversation with Sam, and I think you will too. Hey, Sam, glad to have you here today. Hey, Spencer, thanks for the opportunity. Excited to to get a chance to chat with you. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about Mighty Buildings, but uh, before we get too deep into the weeds, what were you doing before that? Yeah, so when we founded Mighty Buildings, I was working as a sustainability consultant. So I was helping organizations optimize their impact, waste, water, energy, transportation. So looking at everything from building envelopes to whether the HVAC system was properly tuned. So doing a deep dive in electricity bills. It's always fun when you see a spike at two in the morning and you're like, what? <laughs> what and doing that? deep dive. Yeah. Uh, exactly. But even little things like what's it mean to move a garbage can 10 feet? Most importantly, demonstrating what are the actual bottom impacts to the bottom line? Because as much as I love sustainability, at the end of the day, if I can't make the business case, it's really hard to get people to buy in. So that was one of the big focuses helping whoever I was working with not only identify the sustainability opportunities and model out those impacts, but then also demonstrate what those savings were to the bottom line. Because really, at the end of the day, sustainability, more or less, is essentially operational efficiency and removing waste uh, from, your, from your processes. Yep, that makes a ton of sense. And yeah, I feel like that's been the battle from day one with a lot of green initiatives is like, you got to make the business case for it, like make it win-win. And then everybody, exactly. like, why wouldn't you do it then, right? You know. And, and that's why when we approach sustainability, it's not just about focusing on environmental impact. It's how do you balance the needs of people, planet, and profit while maximizing impact across the board. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So what led to the transition to, to Mighty Buildings? A uh, Facebook message from a former classmate. Hey, there you go. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so I went to Presidio Graduate School, uh, which is here, here in the Bay Area. And it's one of the first programs in the world to center the entire curriculum around systems thinking and sustainability. Hmm, cool. And so uh, another a fellow alumni back when, and this is 2016, 2017, had been previously working at Indiegogo. And while there, she had worked with my now CEO and CTO on a, on a previous start, a hardware start, a startup that they'd done. And so when they had the idea for Mighty Buildings, they re- reached out to her and were like, hey, we need someone to help us with sustainability, with market research, with compliance. So she actually, she posted on our, one of our alumni Facebook page. I think I actually recommended another classmate because my capstone at Presidio, my, me and my team created a business plan around taking clean, virgin, uncontaminated hospital waste and turning it into recycled 3D printer filament. Oh, and so we'd had uh, an advisor, uh, one, another classmate who was in three, into 3D printing who had been advisor. So I think I recommended him. But thankfully, he'd already taken a job, I think, with Hitachi, working on smart cities. And so ended up connecting with our CEO, had lunch. He shared the vision with me, and the rest, as they say, is history. It made sense to me, and was re- and housing is just such an important lever on so many different issues on both social, environmental, and economic, that if you can really come up with a key solution for that, it just has so much potential for, for impact across society. And so... I read, and obviously, and I'm also a giant nerd. So <laughs> when I 3D printing with light, I'm like, yes, please. I mean, yeah, I've, I've, been, I've been a fan of 3D printing ever since I realized that 
Star Trek replicators were just energy, were atomic level 3D printing with energy modulation. So. <laughs> well, you're already losing me with some of the tech lingos, <laughs> but it sounds cool. No, no, that's <laughs> awesome. And well, well, I guess just what's the overview? What is Mighty Buildings? What are you guys up to? Yeah. So what we're doing at Mighty Buildings is we're trying to change how the world builds for the better. So what we've done is we've created a unique 3D printing material and technology that, so for, we are not using concrete which okay. most of the many of the 3D printing companies in the construction space are. What we're using is actually called a thermoset composite. So many people in the industry are familiar with Corian, which is synthetic stone made by DuPont that's been used in uh, countertops and claddings going back to the 60s. What we're producing, same class of materials, but we've created a unique way to make it that allows us to turn it into a gel that we can 3D print into different shapes and that we hit with light as soon as it comes out, which triggers the hardening process. So what that means is that not only can we do floors and walls, we can do the roof. We can do unsuspended uh, suspended spans. We can do eaves. We can do curves. We can open up new design aesthetics. Like we can make Frank, make a Frank Gehry looking building and do it at a, a cost-effective price. So it really along it opens up a whole new host of possibilities, but also the goal is to increase productivity and really address the fact that we simply don't have enough people to build all the housing we need. And more so, if we are going to build all the housing we need, we need to figure out how do we do so in a way that doesn't exacerbate the climate crisis. Because as you may know, I mean, building constructions of buildings is 11% of all global GHG emissions. Building energy use is another almost 30%. And that doesn't account for the, way, the impact of the waste generated both during construction and in end of life. So that's almost 40% of all global emissions that are tied to how we build and use build and use con, uh, the built environment. And yeah. so it's, it's really important that if we're going to build the one and a half to two billion homes globally that we need, that we're doing so in a way that is as close to zero carbon or even ideally moving past that into negativity and really moving past sustainability in resilience and regeneration. So, so buildings that can withstand what's coming down the pipeline, but also begin to kind of help claw us back from the brink as it were. So what we've done is with 3D printing, we're able to produce units with effectively zero waste. So eliminating over 95% of the waste of normally go to landfill. Here in California, that ends up for smaller units, that ends up being about a thousand, about a ton per uh, unit for outside of California. For those same units, it's about three tons uh, of carbon that we're not avoiding. Additionally, because we're able to produce units at cost savings against comparable quality, we're actually able to deliver zero net energy homes. So homes that produce as much, incorporate renewables and battery storage on site to produce as much energy as they use over the entire year. So that also produces savings in terms of carbon of about four or five tons a year in, in carbon and also uh, cost savings to the homeowner of about 115 or so uh, per month based on that uh, here in California. Yeah. And so we, start, cool. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we started with accessory dwelling units, so backyard apartments. And the reason we chose that was starting in 2016, California has passed a series of laws to make them pretty easy to permit. And so it's really streamlined that opportunity. And so it was a great market for us to step into, one that's growing quickly. I think it's surpassed a billion dollars in 2020 here in California alone. And additionally, well, one that, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's also one that build, many bigger builders and developers can't, can't build it yeah. uh, simply because the overhead costs associated with units that small just don't make sense. So for us, it was perfect because even though we're going to direct to consumers now with the ADUs, and I love the smile on a homeowner's face when you hand them those keys, nothing quite like it. To really have impact at scale, our vision has always been to be a tool for industry and to work with builders and developers. And where we're going is being, able to, is being a production as a service platform. So right now we're starting with our, the ADUs that we're, we've designed. We've got another uh, set, set of products called the Mighty Home Line that we're 
produced, designed in partnership with EYRC Architects out of Los Angeles and Burl Happel Engineering. And those will be going through certification now. And those will be ADUs and single-family homes. And that includes our first development in Rancho Mirage in uh, the Coachella Valley. That's going to be the world's first 3D-printed zero-net energy community that we're doing in partnership with the Polari Group, awesome. uh, which is an awesome forward-thinking uh, smaller develop, build, developer builder down there. And that's kind of been where, where we're going. So one of the things we're doing right now is along with accelerating our roadmap for sustainability, because we have committed to being carbon neutral by 2028. So about 22 years ahead of the broader industry. Because uh, again, we really want to leverage new technology to help unlock productivity and also those climate impacts in a way that we can really move those together as a, in addressing both of them. But also along with that, we're also accelerating our move into multi-story. So everything we've been doing to date is single family, single story, but really excited to begin moving into, obviously, multi-story single-family homes, because that's huge, particularly for markets outside of Southern California, but also beginning to move into multifamily. So like uh, three to five-story townhouses. Uh, what's it look like to start doing one to six-story low-rise apartments? Being able to start doing that, that vertical density and really stepping into that multifamily space. Because obviously, if we're going to solve the housing crisis, single-family developments are, are great. I mean, they have their own implications in terms of transit and congestion and environmental impacts, but to really solve it, we need to have be able to address vertical density in urban and suburban infill projects. And so that's what we're really excited because at the end of the day, where we want to be, product agnostic, design agnostic, market agnostic, and really be able to take, bring third-party designs and turn them into 3D printable systems that can be we can achieve kinds of scale, even a small batch size. Yeah, yeah, that's super cool. So there's a ton, ton there to unpack and dive into. It sounds <laughs> like uh, you're solving several problems. That last piece was intriguing. So it sounds like. The, the vision is that, you know, hey, I'm, I'm out here in Colorado, I'm a builder, and I just come to you and say, great, like, I want to develop some designs, so I've got them here, I send them to you, you and your team make it so that you can actually 3D print it, and then either get me get me that material out here, or you, you can actually have somewhere out here in Colorado where you can print it, and then I can assemble it, or I, you know, I don't know exactly. enough about so, it. Yeah, so, no, so great, that's, that's exactly it, and even easier than that. So the vision is not to be shipping from Oakland because it doesn't sure. make sense to be charging Colorado, uh, California construction costs to places outside of California. Makes sense. So the, what the vision is, is because we're using 3D printing and robotics we, and we're doing prefab, we can set up in a pretty small footprint. So here in California, we're in an old Pete's Coffee Warehouse. We've got about 79,000 square feet total. 50,000 of that is, is production space. And right now we can do about 300 units a year. So about 360,000 square feet of production out of that 50,000 square feet. And we're in the process of upgrading that to be able to achieve 1,000 units a year. So 1.2 million square feet out of that same 50,000 square feet production floor. And so because of that, and because we're using existing warehouse space, the goal is to have a distributed network of mighty factories around the country and around the world in areas where we have demand. So again, that we're not exporting California costs to lower cost markets, but also so that we're not just providing homes to those markets, but providing jobs and attracting a new generation of workers into the industry. Because one of the things we've been hearing is that in a lot of cases, people who might have in the past gone into construction are going coming up, joining the gig economy or becoming programmers. And what we want to do is attract them back into construction, give them a chance to work with the latest technology, allow them to work in a safer work environment, put them in a situation where they don't have to worry if they're going to get paid just because it's raining, and really, really kind of unlock that productivity. Because at the end of the day, yes, we're trying to automate over about 80% of the process so and about 90% of the labor hours. But at the end, we're also hoping to increase productivity by more than 20 times. So we're, our goal is actually to create more jobs, just going to be easier and less, uh, less arduous, but still and allowing people to work with new, new technology and also opening it up to workers who maybe previously didn't have those opportunities. I mean, someone who's in a, wheel, a wheelchair, 
would have had a hard time in construction, but there's no reason they can't run a printer. So mm-hmm. it's about also about opening up who, who can see themselves in construction. And then with that distributed network, be able to serve those various markets. And at the end of the day, leverage existing legacy players because we believe in disruption, but we believe in disruption through collaboration. Like, it doesn't make sense for us to come and try and tell a builder in, in Pittsburgh how to build in Pittsburgh. Like they know how to build in Pittsburgh. They know that they've got those relationships. They understand the code. They understand what's uh, the land entitlement, that side of it. It makes sense for us to come and work with them, leverage that expertise, leverage that local knowledge. And for us to really focus on the technology side and providing them with the tools they need to, to create that vision and to bring that to reality. Yeah. And on the software side, so we, we have a Revit plugin for our panel system that we're moving through certification right now to make it easy to create custom floor plans for developers. And the goal is to continue to develop that so we can actually have designers and engineers and architects working directly in our technology with software they're familiar with. And so that's to really automate that. And so it creates this whole ecosystem. So maybe it's someone in Colorado sending us a design that we then build in Pittsburgh or someone in Dubai uh, sending us a design that we then build in, I don't know, Paris. And really be able to take advantage of local partners to get the right stamps on that, to show the code compliance. And then obviously the regulatory side of things is hugely important in all of this. And to to that end, we've been working closely with UL, uh, Underwriters Laboratories, and working with them have actually created UL 3401, which is the world's first standard for 3D printed construction. And that has served as the basis for Appendix AW in the 2021 International Residential Code Update. That's going to be published in January. So we're really proud of our, our efforts with UL to actually get 3D printing into the building code. So that's an adoptable appendix yeah. that jurisdictions that use the IRC can plug in. They're also working on getting it added as an appendix to the IBC as well to move beyond residential. And then additionally, we're working closely with ISO and ASTM in helping them develop new standards for 3D printed construction. Because obviously building codes are they're written in blood. And they yep. exist because things went wrong and people got hurt. And so it's so important that we're bringing new, as we're bringing new technology in, that we're showing the safety, that we're showing that compliance. And that we're also creating a pathway that others can as well. So there's room for that innovation because we need it. Like we're not going to build all the housing we need if we don't have space for these innovations. But at the same time, that safety is paramount. And so that's something that we've been really, really focused on. And part of why we didn't come out of stealth mode till August 20, until we were already three years old in August, last August. Yeah, um, yeah. And that, that makes- was because we were focused on the regulatory side and really lining up our certifications, lining up our testing, because it's just, it's, um, in, in the construction sector particularly, it's just so important. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that sounds like a big milestone. And we got a few more minutes left. Uh, I feel like we could go in a million directions here, but uh, <laughs> I, I do want to just dive into kind of the job side of things, because I think that's kind of fascinating. You mentioned like wanting to provide more jobs and, and different types of jobs within the construction space. One of the big challenges right now, obviously, is labor. Like we're yep. a million homes or maybe even two million homes short right now on demand. Like everybody's slam busy. Obviously, this would probably help us catch up, you know, but also in a more sustainable way. But like maybe just spend a couple minutes talking about how do you see that shift in types of jobs? Because like mm-hmm. I live in this community, they're building tons of homes right now. And we walk down, I have a couple of sons, we walk down and just watch all the big trucks and stuff. There's probably like, I don't know, 50, a hundred different people that work on every single home. So I'm curious to get your take on like, how does that change with something like Mighty Buildings? Yeah. So one of the things is we're already, so we're doing prefabricated. So we're already taking advantage of the efficiencies you gain just by that. And then by introducing 3D printing and robotics, we're then taking the most dangerous and difficult parts of the build and handing those over to the 3D printers and robots. I mean, framing of houses is something I think the second most dangerous job in America after mining. Something like three or 4,000 injuries and deaths a year. Like that's, that's crazy. No reason for humans to be doing that. We can we have a 3D printer just 
knock it out. But then there's still always that, still have the need for that human touch. You still have that final finishing. Like even though with ours, like we can use CNC heads to mill it, mill it into different shapes or forms, make it smooth, but there's still the finishing work, that detail work that frankly, robots just aren't aren't able to do. And, and nor, nor necessarily should they. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. Then we can get into the social notions of how we use technology, but it's a real, it's, and again, so by taking the dangerous, difficult parts of the build, I mean, we still got still got electronics. We still, like electrical work, still got plumbing. We still got mechanical. We, we're leveraging companies that do prefabricated bathroom units to help simplify that, to make it again, really easy. But the goal is to really maximize the value of that human touch so that it's going to be easier work per job. But overall, because of the increased productivity and throughput, more work overall. So it's going to be easier on the workers. There's going to be less risks to them, of their life and livelihood, less risk to, the, to their families. And overall, giving you a safer work environment that, again, also by doing prefab, we can have shifts. Right? So it's not, you've got, you're able to better schedule your work time. You're, and, and because we're setting up an existing warehouse space, we're not having to build hundred, multiple hundred thousands of square feet out away from where the labor is. Like we can actually, instead of having, so people aren't driving two, three hours each way to get to work. They're driving 10, 15 minutes because we're in areas like here in Oakland, we're right next to the Coliseum. Uh, it's like literally like a quarter mile that way. And so it's being able to set up in that existing space, I think really creates opportunities that a lot of times just aren't there with traditional prefab. And so hopefully, again, and by creating an opportunity to work with labor or work with a new technology, we want to give people a chance to do more than just swing a hammer. Here in Oakland, we we are we have a local recruitment program where we focus on uh, hiring local for a production team. We've developed a program where we're also working with formerly incarcerated individuals and giving them opportunities. And we also have a whole pipeline so that people move up and eventually we potentially give them skills so they go off and do their own thing. So we get uh, really get that throughput and we're looking at things like what what might it be look like to like we're talking with different unions like the Carpenters Union being one of the few that's really kind of embraced prefab in terms of be able to cross-train, but also like, I mean, it's about how do we create leverage what we're doing to create the most value for the most people. Yeah, that's awesome. No, that's super cool. I mean, technology, it's interesting. People always talk about, you know, the elimination of of jobs, but new jobs get created. They look different, like they take new shapes and forms. Yep. So I think that's super helpful. And that's where You've the training kind of, comes is so important. So. What's that? That's And that's where creating programs to train people and provide those apprenticeship yeah. opportunities and and work with the existing structures to create training programs for, so that you get a, that we're creating a whole new generation of, work, of workers entering that pipeline. But again, getting you to work, creating higher paying more jobs that are more akin to uh, the boom we saw in the post-World War II era than to the race to the bottom we saw in the 80s. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, gosh, final question. We're we're out of time here, but we we already kind of talked about like the future and where you guys are going. I'm curious, like, what does the timeline you think look like for somebody? You know, again, like using the same example. I'm in Colorado. Like, I want to yep. send you designs. Like, is that like a decade out or like two years out or somewhere um, in between? I, <laughs> hopefully, within hopefully within five years, I'd say. Cool. I mean, we're we're definitely right now. One of the things we're looking at is where is that next mighty factory going to go? Yeah. And so that that'll be a key part of it as well. We're moving forward in that software development to make to create those tools to make it easy. But yeah, so I know, and the goal is by 2023 to be delivering uh, multifamily, ideally those uh, apartment buildings. Hopefully next year we can actually get some prototype townhouses and stuff on the ground so we're getting there i don't i think t- 10 years definitely i think five years is reasonable uh, cool yeah that's awesome no this stuff takes time but i mean 
in the grand scheme of things, it's a it's a short you know trip to get yeah. there. So, like I mean, uh, it, it took uh, SIP panels what seven years by to get in the code by themselves, and they're still <laughs> exactly. and, they're, and they and they're still no one's and they're still only being used in like two to five percent of projects. So. Yeah, yeah, no, that's awesome. Well, Sam, if uh, anybody listening just wants to like learn more about you guys or connect with you or you know that sort of thing, what's the best way to to reach out or find you guys? Yeah, um, check out check us out online at mightybuildings.com. You can see some great videos. We've got a, a great team that puts out uh, webinars on ADUs, but also on our technology. So you can check out our YouTube channel and you can also drop us a line at info at mightybuildings.com. Very cool. Yeah. And for you guys listening, we'll put those in the show notes as well. And Sam, final parting words for our listeners. Well, it's just been an honor to get chat with you and just really encouraging as people are thinking about building, think about what, what does it mean to look at the housing crisis and the climate crisis together? Because, because it is such a big part of it. And really, really think about what what does it mean to to build better, and kind of especially in an industry that's tra- traditionally hesitant to uh, to embrace new technologies. I think we're we're at a tipping point and have a moment in time when that we're starting to see that shift. Yeah. So excited, yeah. really excited to hear what your listeners have to say, and hope they reach out to us. Um, and if they want to get to me directly, it's just Sam at MightyBuildings.com. Very cool, very cool. Well, yeah, and and great uh, final thoughts there, Sam. Thanks so much for spending some time with me today. Oh, thank you for the opportunity, Spencer, and I uh, really appreciate uh, chatting with you. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Construction Tech Update. Go check out Mighty Buildings over at MightyBuildings.com and feel free to reach out to Sam as well. Hope you enjoyed that episode and we'll see you next time.